Greetings, you're listening to the audio version of Up the Waterfall. On this week's episode, our audio track, which we record separately, was corrupted. So we apologize for the different sounding audio that you'll hear on this week's episode. We'll be back to normal next week. Thanks for listening. Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of that? By going up the waterfall? That's right. Anything's possible in Disneyland. Welcome, friends, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Up the Waterfall with your hosts, Zana and Scott Otis. Howdy. This is episode 28. Which will be all about, and we really ask for audience participation in this, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of controversial answers, perhaps. The most underrated Disney feature animated films. So we're not talking about direct-to-DVD releases or direct-to-VHS. What? Shorts, etc. Things made for TV. Uh, But feature animated films that are in that long list that you can find where each one is, you know, given a number and all that. Uh, If you're just joining us, welcome to Up the Waterfall. This is where we discuss Disney parks and other parts of Disney. Like movies. Past and historical data mixed with our own personal take and uh, (laughs) our own personal nostalgia and some present day points of view. That's right. So without further ado... Let's jump right in. Oh my. (laughs) And now Christian will play the Disney animation opening in a wonderful montage as it's it's changed throughout the years. Just kidding. That would be very time consuming to do. Fun and fancy. Um, But before we jump in, so we're doing a top five, I guess, as you can tell from the title. Top five. I always think of that as a top ten. It kind of is, because we do five each in hopes that we will have different answers, but sometimes we have the same answers, in which case we both get to comment. I think we both will comment we'll anyway. We'll both comment, and then I've got backups. I've to got make backups. It, to make it ten. And I've got backups to my backups. Oh, I've got, I've got backups. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but I think what we should, and I almost asked you this, and then I said, let's wait, and I'll ask you on air. Okay. Um, what is your criteria for underrated? Because I have a very specific definition, I think. Right. What um, is yours? Basically, I'm thinking that underrated is basically underappreciated. Something that just hasn't um, resonated as much as it should, maybe. Um, something that maybe hasn't uh, caught on the way it should and doesn't have as many fans as it should. A lot of people maybe just dismiss these films and maybe like, huh. Like, I, I choose to watch these, you know. Yeah. I, like, I need to see Frozen for the 68th time <laughs> instead of maybe one of these. Understandable. I think, for me, as I was doing it, I had originally thought underrated meant there wasn't as much of a presence in Disney parks with merchandise, okay. etc. But as I was doing my list, I mean, I love all of these movies, obviously. There's very few Disney animated features that I don't enjoy. I agree. However... Um, when they first came out, maybe there was a presence in the parks, but it just has not stood the test of time. And I think, you know, we've discussed many times over on this podcast that the Disney synergy and marketing has certainly changed over the years. So I think we've definitely seen a shift from, uh, in the nineties, in the late eighties, you know, with the new renaissance of Disney animated films. They weren't all princess stories and I think lately they've been trying to um, keep to that formula because they know it works and there have been some ideas for different films that have come up but they haven't always um, come to fruition so. And I think also when you're talking about in the parks there's there's probably a few a handful of properties or movies titles etc. Maybe even just as little as eight movies that have such a huge yeah. presence within the films. I mean, I'm sure you and I know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, that are just, you know, in like every park, 
in so many different iterations there right. and you know they they really have come to lean on those films as being you know the impetus for whether it be shows or rides other yeah. attractions restaurants and things that it it leaves a lot of other films in in the dark right and i think more. over the past you know five or ten years i'm sure that that is taken into account even in doing my research um in finding out that some stories like the release dates and the planning and the production of films co was coordinated with you know a mcdonald's oh, yeah. happy meal release <laughs> and all this stuff that i mean that's been going on for years which of course i wasn't really paying attention to back then but i think now more than ever everything is kind of coordinated and planned for sure. so some of these may have just slipped through the cracks as it were i think a lot of them have yeah. um but maybe they're beloved by all of you, so, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you might think, wait, that's not, yeah, un, you know, un, underappreciated. Or... So we'll give our answers and our reasons for why. I'll try. But, of course, I think we should always do ladies first. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm going to jump right in with my number one pick, which is not necessarily, these aren't in any order, chronological or otherwise. Um, but this one I'm doing first simply because this was the impetus for this topic because we were talking about Jules Verne last week. That's right. Um, we'll link to that episode if you haven't listened. <laughs> and all of his um, representations in the parks mm -hmm. and other films, etc. So in doing my research on this, this actually was inspired by the works of Jules Verne. So it Ooh. missed your list last week, Mr. <laughs> researcher. Um, and that is, of course, Atlantis, colon, I think it's the Lost Empire. It is. Okay. <laughs> There's a book right here. I brought props from your library that I've right. stolen. It's the essential guide. And I will look these books up and see if uh, I can link to any of them on the blog post if you'd like to pick them up or more that you may know exist in your library. Okay. Um, so anyway, this I chose because... I think it was so different when it first came out. It came out in 2001, the 41st animated film from mm -hmm. Walt Disney Animation Studios. I have numbers for all of my uh -oh. listings. I don't have um, <laughs> Right in between The Emperor's New Groove and Lilo and Stitch. So at this time, there wasn't really a consistent, like, every movie's about a princess kind of thing. So yeah. despite that, this was a very different movie stylistically. Um, oh, very. It, it was set in 1914, inspired by the works of Jules Verne, specifically Journey to the Center of the Earth, mm -hmm. a little bit. Absolutely. And um, the, one of the production designers on there and the style of animation was inspired by Mike Mignola, who is the comic creator of Hellboy, among other things. Oh, wow. So, you know, if you look at a Disney movie before then, animated movie, it's not going to look like Atlantis. It's completely different style, completely different, you know, all their fingers are very squared yeah, I, I off. I definitely remember that. Um, so it was, and it's, of course, mostly set underwater once yes. they get down there. So it's just a very different look um, to everything versus, say, Little Mermaid, um, which is also underwater. So if you don't know the story, you know, there's the eccentric millionaire, there's Milo, who is a researcher, and um, they're trying to find the city, the lost city of Atlantis, and he's got his grandfather's journal, and he's been trying to piece it together, as was the eccentric millionaire who already sent this yeah. expedition out. So Milo's going to join them. There's a whole cast um, of characters to join them yes, along the way. Yes, lots of fun characters, including Vinny, who was, you know, of course, Guido Sarducci. Um, <laughs> he had that matchstick in his... Uh, yeah, his lots of fun characters in this movie. Um, but I just loved it for, like, the style itself is really interesting. The storyline is very interesting. It's not like a clean-cut kind of um, tale. There's yes. many surprises along the way. Definitely there are. And in addition, they actually created a whole Atlantean language yes, they alphabet <laughs> for this, created by the same guy that created Klingon. So oh, they really, yeah, I shared a trivia tidbit with you. Oh. I can't remember. I didn't write his name down, but you can look it up. 
Um, <laughs> so anyway, this always I've always loved this movie because of the story. Um, it's just really stunning visuals and. I don't think it ever really got the appreciation that it should have. I'll be honest, I don't appreciate it as much as I should have. I remember when it came out, I was so eager to see it. Uh, there were all kinds of uh, things. This was really as I was starting to get onto the internet and basically just kind of do deep dives on things. And I was really fascinated with the making of this film. Uh, and I just so wanted to get into it and like it. And I think I have seen it the one time its initial uh, time and there were a couple of, of bits that kind of turned me off a little bit I think the ultra violence on, on one end yeah there's some uh, some some of the characters turn out to be not who we at first think that they are well I mean um, there's that in pretty much every Disney of movie. course but uh, <laughs> everyone has to be a villain but as we were talking about last week with the Jules Verne influences I think those kinds of things I would really resonate with me and I think I definitely need to give this one another look in this movie room behind oh, us yeah. we need to watch it on the big Absolutely. screen it's on Disney Plus so I'm excited um, a lot of my movies that are my favorites that may be underrated are probably tainted by the fact that my oldest two children were, you know, two, three, five, okay. eight, when these movies came out. Um, so they were on repeat a lot. Okay, so these are all going to be bunched in the same um, I don't think necessarily, realm. but I'm just saying that I think contributed to why I've okay. seen it a million times and why it's one of my favorites. I don't yes. know. I mean, as I said, there are a lot of elements in this film that really you would think would speak right to me. So yeah. I definitely need to give this yeah, one another Yeah, I think shot. you'll really enjoy it once you will watch it. Okay. With new eyes. Yes, I look forward to that. Yes, so what's your first pick <laughs> uh -oh. and why? Okay. My first pick was uh, one that was came out right during the, the latest, not the latest, I guess I should say, the, the, the time before that, the renaissance of mm -hmm. Disney animation, uh, the early 1990s. And you're thinking... Wait a minute, I thought all of those films were very well appreciated. The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, you know, Aladdin and The Lion King. Well, there's actually one in there that uh, a lot of people miss. And that is The Rescuers Down Under. Oh. From okay. 1990. This is on my very short list of oh. Disney feature animated films I have not seen. Wait. What? Sorry. The Rescuers was one of my favorites, yes. but also traumatized me from uh -huh. childhood. Um, it's very scary. That's so yeah, scary. so this is a sequel to the 1977 uh, film, The Rescuers, um, starring a couple of mice. <laughs> Bianca. Uh, Bianca and Bernard. Um, played by uh, what? Ava Gabor and... Uh, Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart, of all people. Playing a, a very timid mouse. Um, yeah, so this is a sequel where they go to Australia, thus the Down Under ah, part. Ah, it all makes sense now. Yes. I did know that. I've seen bits of it, but not the whole thing. And there's just some gorgeous animation in this one. This was basically right as uh, Disney was getting into their stride. They, um, you know, <clears throat> The Little Mermaid had already just been released, and it was a smashing success, and so now... The uh, animation studios is just pumping on all cylinders, and they're you know they're working on Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, and in between all of those, they release The Rescuers Down Under, and you know there's just it starts in New York City, uh, which is where the Rescuer Aid Society is, um, that's where they are, and they uh, there is even um, the the two Bird Brothers, one of whom was from the original film, Wilbur and Orville. Oh. See, one of them was in the original, and then the other one is in the sequel. Hmm. He uh, basically takes them to Australia. It's a long flight on a bird. I think, they might, I think they only, he might have not gone that full way. They actually oh. uh, hitched a ride on an airplane. Makes but, sense. But, um, yes. So they get down to uh, Australia uh, to help a boy who has been taken. And um, by the evil... Leech. <laughs> and his, I don't even know what his animal uh, sidekick is. It's a very interesting, exotic Australian mammal. Um, I'll have to look that up. Hmm, interesting. In, in Australia, of course, there's all kinds of um, unique wildlife that is different than anywhere else. 
Um, yeah, and so they basically go through the bush and all of that, and they are uh, aided by a, an Australian mouse who actually kind of uh, Bernard thinks is very interested in Bianca, and so he's you know he actually has you know he's trying to propose to her as well, and uh, he, he thinks he's getting kind of taken aside by this guy who's going to, you know, because he's an Australian guy, kind of like from Crocodile Dundee, that kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Played by Tristan Rogers, who you may remember from, what was it, The Days of Our Lives or General Hospital? Oh, One of those. Oh, that's it's, funny. You remember him? No. Tristan Rogers? Oh, well. I can't remember which one of those two he's from. Interesting. But yeah. So why do you think it's underrated? Just because it, when it came out? It, yeah, it didn't perform as well as as all of those blockbuster films that I mentioned. It kind of got lost in, in all of that. Um, but it, it, as I mentioned, there, like even just the opening scene is basically it just kind of uh, swoops through. Um, it's a long tracking shot that goes through the jungle and ends up in the, um, in the window of a cabin where the boy is. Ah, oh, yes. That's and fun. you know, and there's the classic animation of um, the the boy on top of the giant eagle mm -hmm. that that is McLeach is actually trying to uh, get. Um, just sweeping visuals, love it. So, All right. I definitely highly recommend that one. Maybe I'll see it someday. Definitely. Still hasn't piqued Disney my interest. Park. Oh really? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's great. I don't know. You haven't sold me on it. Let's put it that way. Ouch. <laughs> um, let us know if that's one of your favorites. And you agree with Scott. Second on my list, I think this one might be a little controversial because I don't think, I think some people legitimately don't like this movie. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll find out. somebody not like a movie? Um, Treasure it. Planet. <gasps> I love it. From 2002, the 43rd release. Ooh. Um, of course, right between Lilo and Stitch and Brother Bear. Wow, that's right in that same yeah. region, which is fine. Um, yes, 2002, so, you know, right around the same time after Atlantis. And I've always loved this movie because, of course, it's based on um, Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Which is also a very important movie in Disney filmdom because right. that was his so first live-action live film he ever made. Yes, and... Instead of just doing an animated version of that, they flipped the script they and really put did. it in space. Wait, what? But they also didn't make it space as in what we were used to is like yeah. cold metal looking, you know, shades of blue and lots of yeah, just... Yeah, they're not in giant spaceships. Right. There's not a lot of, you know, spacesuit metallic looking yeah. things. It's ships. It's like a pirate movie. Yeah but in space and um it is in space so it's in the future so there's some weird characters in there there's an anthropomorphic cat who is a captain um and if you're familiar with the story basically each main character in this treasure planet is based on um a character from the yes. original book it may have a slightly different name it may be in a different form but yeah i mean they're jim, all like jim hawkins by... and long john silver are still the main two right characters Except he has a cyborg arm in this yes, movie which sounds ridiculous <laughs> to say um but yeah it's just really fun and also part of what made this so interesting i think is they it, this was right around the time they were really doing a lot of 3d computer animation but this particular film is 2D animation over 3D computer animation. So mm -hmm. it makes for a very interesting looking film. It's not all just, you know, computerized looking. Um, also in this movie, we have some lovely songs from Goo Goo Dolls lead singer yes. Johnny Resnick, which I don't know why he says his last name I always that way. called him Johnny Resnick. <laughs> yeah, because that's how it's spelled. But, you know, we'll leave that to him. Um, but that was very fitting in the time frame that the movie came out. So yes. it kind of made it feel modern at the time as well. And they fit in great. They weren't like out of place yes. songs, even though before that, you know, everything had been kind of musical um, films. This was, you know, I, I used to, as a child, read treasure 
on Treasure Island, so <laughs> it was based on uh, that, and I loved it. Yeah. I really like those memories that you just shared. And also, fun. of course, this is one with Martin Short as Ben. I'm pretty sure that was David Hyde Pierce as Ben, or was David Hyde Pierce somebody else? David Hyde Pierce was somebody else. <laughs> ben was that, uh... The little robot the, guy? The little robot yeah. guy, yeah. He was also based on a character from Treasure Island. Ben Gunn. Yeah. That's right. Fun times. Very. Well, David Hyde Pierce is in there too, so, you know, give him a listen. <laughs> from Frasier. Um, okay. Well, let me go back to my list. And actually, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and talk about this one, which a lot of people might not think that this one is underrated or underappreciated. But I think of all of the big ones, this is the one that probably gets maybe forgotten about the most. And that is Tarzan. Ooh, I almost put this one on my list. Yeah. And I wondered if... It's right, I mean, because it's... It should be. It's a, it is a big <laughs> one, and a lot of people love it. And so you're, some of you might be saying, what are you talking about? This isn't underappreciated. We all love this movie. I think uh, a lot of us do. Um, but some of us don't. Maybe some of us haven't seen this one. And this was, uh, was kind of right at the end of that... That really popular renaissance of the 1990s. Uh, this one came out in 1999, right before all of those ones in 2000. Um, you know, they had a lot of, this is when they were really uh, getting into the th kind of the 3D yeah. um, background animation. So they had to actually come up with a new uh, computer process called Deep Canvas that they were using as a way to have a two-dimensional character soar through a, a 3D world. And there's a very famous scene that they show with you know with Tarzan kind of doing that thing where he's kind of gliding on yeah. the tree limbs. I think that kind of hasn't stood the test of time. Oh, really? Because when they did that, they were doing like I think I don't know if they did motion capture, but it was kind of like they were trying to emulate like snowboarders or yes. skateboarders or it something like that, like and that. it very much looks like that, <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, but like he's not a skateboarder, he's right. a Tarzan. But at the time, yes, it was groundbreaking and very yeah. cool to look at all the leaves going by. Yeah. And, stuff. and of course, this is uh, based off of the very famous, you know, Ed Edgar Rice Burroughs tale of, you know, Tarzan, um, son of Greystoke or yes. whoever. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, in this anime, they really... Um, they really got to my heartstrings on this one. The the scene where, you know, his actual parents perished and the uh You mean attack. Um, <laughs> what? Anna and Elsa. Anna and Elsa's parents? No. I'm just I kidding. don't mean that. I know. They they uh they got capsized yeah. and they and they you know, they had a place and then of course they uh, met an end. Um, you know, they yes. just couldn't survive that all of these tough for while, times in the jungle, but then he was actually adopted by this ape family. Um, and just all of that. Yeah. You know, we've grown up with this ape family and they find out that, you know, he's actually from this one place and they and he goes there and then he has to choose. Right. Like, is he a man or an ape? And he comes out wearing clothes. Yeah. And that was just a very touching moment. Um, I think in the original book, he does go to, and I, there's probably a part two that oh, yeah. I've never seen. Well, there's yeah, there's a lot more right? that goes on, of course, and you know, of course, he meets the Porter family, with Jane and her father, yes. and falls in love, and I then love eventually they all end up living together in the jungle happily, right. with their ape family. I still say gorilla <laughs> in reference to Tarzan. I like trash in the and camp. And Phil too. Collins was there. Oh, Phil, Phil Collins. Collins. Yes, I he was going to jump all in of and say the that. Music. I don't know. I have not done the research on this, but I don't know if this was the first time that they had like a pop singer. Not at all. Doing the music, well, like the Lion oh, King, well, I Elton guess John. had Elton John, but yeah. like I don't consider that because he wrote those songs specific. Well, I guess Phil Collins oh, did. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> I think. Phil Collins is like a different level than, definitely than Elton John, and it wasn't like, oh my god, it's Elton John. It was just like everything just kind of, you know, made sense and whatever. Yes. And then, of course, he came back for Brother Bear. Yeah, and so, and, and the fact that it spawned the, you know, the fun show in Animal Kingdom, I think was great, yeah. and a, a popular and underrated Broadway musical. Yes, listen so, to our Broadway With Josh Strickland episode. as Tarzan. Yes, who appears in the Festival of the Arts. Often. 
almost every year. That's right. I think every I think year every he has. Year. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully so, that yeah. will happen again. Well, I agree with you that it is underrated by some. Um, yes. So my next thing on my list is Meet the Robinsons. <gasps> what? Which that was on my list. I feel like this is underrated even by me. Um, I just, I haven't seen this movie, I've probably seen it three times. The kids, all of my children have seen it a million times and will quote things from it and <laughs> um, there's lots of just fun visuals in it and I think oh, I'd love those movie. make for fun memes around the house. Um, <laughs> but yes, I will get to the music for sure. This came out, uh, this was in... 2007. 2007, the 47th, ooh. right in between, ooh, this was a, a scary time. Yes, it was. And Disney animation. We've got Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, Bolt. And yes. then we start all over again with Princess and the Frog. Yes, that was a, a tough time. Um, so this was just kind of, I don't know, out of left field. This Very was like much out the of left first field. film after John Lasseter had like taken over um, as the head of animation. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a strange and multifaceted storyline that, you know, there was time travel, there was lessons on adoption and being accepted, and you never know what someone can become, and you That's have to right. keep moving forward, which of course is the little, you know, Disney quote touches in there that I think yeah. so many people appreciate the movie because of that connection to Walt Disney. Um, but yeah, and there's just like weird stuff in it. There's weird <laughs> little think, frogs. Yeah, I and think the weird part is what might have turned a lot of people off. Because yeah. they're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know. But in addition, this had a great soundtrack oh, um, yes. written I... by Danny Elfman, the soundtrack portion, like the score. Uh, but also one of my absolute favorites of all time, Rufus Wainwright. Yes. He did a few songs in this. Yes, I um, used to listen to the soundtrack on repeat all the time. Also, Rob Thomas from mm -hmm. whatever band he's from that I can't remember right now. <laughs> it might just be Rob Thomas. It is just Rob Thomas. Okay, in this case. well, yes. you know, that guy. Um, the Joe Bros that did um, right. that song at the end. Kids of the Future. Kids of the Future. And I guess They Might Be Giants, which I didn't realize, did a version of... Um, it's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Yep. Which I have to re-listen to because I did not remember that. Also, the All American Rejects are mm -hmm. in there. So that is just a fun little romp, if you will, a palate cleanser yes. of an underrated Disney the, yeah, film. Yeah, there's just so many great scenes in there. Yeah, lots Even of even just when they're soaring through the future. Things. Yes, and it's you know all computer animation by this point, so mm -hmm. it's a very specific style um, of that. But yeah, I think it's a fun thing that maybe hasn't gotten as much watching, even, as I said, by myself. So. Isn't there a, a cameo by Tom Selleck? There is. Interesting. <laughs> with, the, with the stash. Yeah. <laughs> He's not my favorite, but okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to your next pick. Okay. I'm going to go back in time a little bit. Way back in time. Back into the... So this is early in Disney animation, after they had done the initial big five films of Snow White and Fantasia, Pinocchio, Dumbo, and Bambi. And World War II had finally struck. And uh, so, you know, with the army having taken over the Walt Disney Studios, they had to basically put all of their animation on hold. But during that time, they were able to put out some films... Um, some were kind of propaganda films. Um, some were goodwill films, and we might talk about those later. But then he was also able to put together some anthology films. A lot of people call them the package films, where they package a bunch of different uh, animated pieces together, very similar to how Fantasia was when it came mm -hmm. out in 1940, of a bunch of um, pieces that may not re necessarily relate to each other. Uh, and there were a couple in there, and I'm kind of cheating here by doing a twofer, <laughs> but I'll, I will choose one at the end. Okay. Uh, 1946's Make My Music, mm -hmm. which um, basically it was, they described it as a music fantasy in ten parts, where they had uh, ten different um, 
stories, some of which were a lot more filled out than others. Um, that each one was kind of a different thing. Uh, like, for example, Martin's and the Coys, which was the opening piece, uh, was a rustic ballad. Um, another famous one, Casey at the Bat, that's another mm. strong one. That one was a musical recitation. Peter and the Wolf, I think we've all seen that one. I love that one. That was a fairy tale with music. And it ends with probably my favorite segment, uh, The Whale Who Wanted to Sing at mm. the Met, or Willie the Operatic Whale, <laughs> which was in the uh, style of opera pathétique. Mm. Yes, which doesn't, you know, has a very surprise ending, but it was a very touching story about a whale who could sing, <laughs> who could sing opera. Which, that's very strange, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, my memories of all of those separate pieces, if anyone's listening that's around my age, they used to show them all on the Disney Channel oh, yeah. in the 80s. So they would, Yeah, they would often just, just uh, show like them the as the pieces yeah. themselves. And actually, I remember in growing up in school, they would mm. often get the film projectors and show <laughs> us a, a lot of wow. Disney films, yeah. um, a lot of Disney shorts, Sometimes we would see you know, Casey at the Bat or Peter, especially Peter and the Wolf. I remember seeing that one many times. But there are a bunch of other experimental ones, including Blue Bayou, which was a um, kind of a rejected piece from the original Fantasia using Claude Debussy's um, Claire de Lune. Mm. That's the music there. Um, and All the Cats Join In, which is a real fun one with a lot of um, teenage, kind of like sock hoppers, oh, yeah. where they where they did that famous thing where they're kind of painting them in as they're going with a little an animated uh, paintbrush yeah. or pencil <laughs> and kind of drawing them in as the action is happening. So that was famous. Uh, a lot of fun with there and of course Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet um, and a bunch of other ones. But I, I mentioned the, the, the big ones. But I think my favorite and the one that I'm actually listing here was 1948's Melody Time. This one had a, a real strong... You really are taking a twofer. I really ahead. am. I, <laughs> I'm saying, it's not this one, it's this one. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Um, there's some really strong uh, pieces in this one, especially Johnny Appleseed yes. and Pecos Bill. One of my favorites. Yes, Johnny, I mean, Johnny Appleseed, that's, you know, basically talking about the American legends. Uh, and they used a lot of um, Mary Blair art in this one. Just a lot of, and these are really long segments, probably seven, you know, 15 to 18, maybe 20 minutes long. Um, basically telling the story of these guys and what they, how they expanded the country. Yeah. Johnny Appleseed, of course, planting apples everywhere. And Pecosville, who's, you know, a tall tale of, if not, if anything. And he basically, that's the ending segment of the entire movie. Um, and with this horse, Widowmaker. Yeah. Slewfoot Sue. I think they re released, I don't know if it was all of these same ones, but they did that American Legends. Remember when they yes, released Yes, they did that. That. Um, that was, they took several yeah, of those, including the, the new John Henry short, but they also did Paul Bunyan, which oh, was yeah. not in any of the um, anthology films, hmm. as well as a couple others. But they like definitely included episode, Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill. And there were a couple of other ones as well. Once Upon a Winter Time, um, Blame It on the Samba, mm. um, Little Toot. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. With the Andrews sisters. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the fun ones was at the end. It's Pecos Bill. It basically, it starts off with live action with um, Roy Rogers and the Sons of the Pioneers mm. sitting around a campfire with uh, child actors Luena Patton and Bobby Driscoll, who both appeared additionally in both um, Song of the South and, what's the other one? So Dear to My Heart. I was saying it in here. And Bobby Driscoll <laughs> later, of course, would be um, Jim Hawkins in Treasure Island. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the voice of Peter Pan as well. And in a million Shaggy Dog movies. Wasn't he in those ones, too? I think you're thinking of Tommy Kirk. Oh, yeah, I am thinking of Tommy Kirk. And he was in... They all look the same, those old Shaggy Disney Dog movies. movie. Really? Called The Shaggy Dog. Huh. Well, <laughs> there's I saw a, the Shaggy there are a lot of, and all of those. Yeah, there's crazy. a lot of other films <laughs> in that era that, you know, right. The Misadventures we'll of Marilyn Jones, etc. 60s movies yes. episode. 
But anyway, this so the melody time with it has a, a really a bunch of strong pieces, and so that one is officially my <laughs> my entry on this list. All right, I guess I'll accept it because all of these definitely should be rewatched. Oh yes, I think they're just and if old we're talking about numbers, I think these are all within like the first ten of uh, Disney yes, animated they films. Are. Make my music was eight and melody time was ten. There you so, go. Fun and fancy free nine. All right, well, I'm going to jump back into 1996, <laughs> a banner year, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ooh, good one. Number 34 in our list of feature in. There's a giant book you have on this, which I haven't looked at, but I'm going to it's after this. phenomenal. Um, I have always been a fan of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I have been saying since it came out that it was underappreciated and oh, underrated. Yeah. I think a lot of people, this was like the darkest very dark um, film that Disney had come out with at the time. If it wasn't PG, it should have been. Or it, if, if not PG-13. They took out a lot to get it to a G and there were, it's still the movie with the most God, Lord, and Hells attributed oh, yeah. to it versus any other oh, film. Um as because of the content, I mean, it was based on Victor Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is not a kid's book. No, um, not at all. It has, you know, infanticide, uh, lust. Yeah, yeah, the whole Judge Club, Frollo. genocide, sin. Yeah, he's you know. basically lusting after Esmeralda, and it's like, if, if she can't be mine, then I'm just going to burn this whole city to the ground. Right. And as I, I've mentioned before, I think on the Broadway episode when we talk about the Hunchback musical, that... That was the, you know, revised version. It was a lot darker <laughs> when they first wrote up the treatment for it. Um, as a result of all of this darkness and controversy, it was the, f the first ever and only Disney film to have a, made, like, a religion talked about in oh, it. Yeah. And that was post, I mean, pre-Reformation Catholicism. Um, so, yeah, it had a lot of protests and people you know refusing to go refusing to show the film um boycotting all of that fun stuff there's apparently the southern baptist you know those great old people oh, that protest yes. everything um <laughs> thought that the out there song that the hunchbacks sang was like a call to action for gay youth or whatever wow Which, yeah when i was what reading that i was like right there did they listen to the song? But okay, whatever. He's just basically been yeah. captive inside <laughs> this um, uh, church forever. He just wants to live a normal life. Yeah. So I always <laughs> loved the music, the mm. visuals. Yes. I think it was a great way to tell the story. And it also had some, you know, backlash when it came out from like Victor Hugo purists that were Ooh, like, okay. what did you do to this film? You know, <laughs> this is not how it should be told. You've made it into a circus kind of thing. Um, but I, Tom Hulse plays the mm -hmm. Hunchback, Quasimodo. Mm -hmm. I was a huge Tom Hulse fan from yes, you Mozart, Amadeus. Um, <laughs> love that guy. I wish he was in more stuff, but I think he turned to directing or whatever. Anyway, huge fan. And hearing that he could sing, even though it wasn't, you know, like a booming Broadway voice. I loved his song that he sang, but all of the music, like Alan Menken, I feel like this is almost his, you know, best work ever because like just the orchestrations and it was mm. such a mood and he was combining um, things that were, you know, like church kind of songs yeah. and instrumentals <clears throat> along with you know, the lyrics, there's like Latin, you know, prayers oh, yeah, in there and, and things oh, like that. They're really so memorable. <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice. Uh, really <laughs> memorable songs, ones that just really resonate with you and the visuals that are going along on the screen with the music. I just think it's, it's really, really well done. The messaging also is, you know, very important. Like, Esmeralda is a gypsy, she's cast out because she's not, you know, one of the regular folks. And it's a, a great tale of, you know, corruption in, in churches without, you know, getting too political on here. But I think it's an important story. And it's like, a lot of times people stand yeah, behind like 
who's accepted within right. society versus who's yeah. outcast. You know, it's, they hide behind their religion without actually practicing what their religion is preaching. Yeah. Lots to think about, lots to unpack, but anyway, that is, uh, yeah, on my list, so. I heartily agree with that one. <laughs> Very good. And good I don't, choice. I mean, it's not that it was, when it came out, it had the stage show in MGM. Um, oh, it that. had an ice cream bar because, of course, you know, the Pocahontas <laughs> bar became the Hunchback bar. But <laughs> um, it did. That was another whole thing yeah. I talked about. I sold ice cream and I don't remember selling it. But I guess I, I was out of the ice cream game. Yeah, you point. were at that point in time. It was chocolate <laughs> dipped in other chocolate and had caramel inside it. And then eventually it became the Goofy Bar when they ran out of movies to okay. name it after. Anyway, it's not like it was shunned from the parks at all. But oh. I think over time, it just did not get... Yeah, the, the others rose a yeah, little bit and more it's, than this one. There's no reason for it because it has such an amazing soundtrack and storyline. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. Your turn. Good choice. It's <laughs> going to be hard to top that one, so I'm just not even going to try. I'll pass. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I can't top it, but I will. And this is another twofer. You're oh, like, God. What? Come on, really? And I'll tell you why. Now, now, when I did my first pick, which was The Rescuers Down Under, I didn't make that a twofer because it was a sequel of them. I didn't put The Rescuers in that one. Okay. But this is another sequel, but it's 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 a sequel of the, the, the film that's officially on my list, and that is Fantasia. Oh, so Fantasia 2000. So Fantasia and Fantasia 2000 are my twofer. If I had to put one of these on the list, I'm going to put Fantasia, the original. Okay, well, which, let's just talk about that then, I guess. <laughs> I'll just, I'm not going to talk about them both too much. Not too much. Anyway, Fantasia was, I think, the second movie that came out in 1940. Same year as Pinocchio, so this is, well, basically, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It just came out, the first live action, not live action, sorry, animated full length mm -hmm. picture, and it was, a, just a crazy success. It was the most popular film ever, until just a, I think a year later, Gone with the Wind came out. Um, but uh, so Fantasia, Walt, Walt had the idea to, basically put classical music to uh, some beautiful animation scenes. And they did that with eight scenes, or eight uh, pieces within the, the first one, including a lot of very popular ones, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, Toccata and Fugue in D minor, which we talked about a little bit mm. last time, because that's yes. the, the same piece that Captain Nemo played in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, Night on Bald Mountain, Ave Maria, the Pastoral Symphony, which is my favorite. Um, a lot of really Most strong of pieces. Nutcracker things. Oh, that's right. Awesome. Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, which was the second piece in that um, movie. Just, a, just a phenomenal release. And I know a lot of people probably have. This is maybe their favorite movie. This is my favorite animated movie of all time. But I think a lot of people haven't seen this film. <laughs> Even at though me? it's been around since 1940. I've seen most of it. I'm not a fan of dinosaurs, so I skipped that Oh, that's section. right. Rite of Spring, which was Rite Igor Stravinsky's like, piece. Yeah, that's a, that's a little I actually uh, saw dark. a ballet using that, so it kind of scarred me for a What was interesting is Igor Stravinsky was the only composer of any of those eight pieces who was alive when right. Fantasia was released, and he did not care for that, uh, mm. the interpretation you, of Igor. that. I actually really like it. It's a very long piece that it basically yes, talks about the so the creation of the earth and then delves into Walt dinosaurs. And his dinosaurs. Yeah, but I think that's a that's the origin <laughs> of Walt and his dinosaurs, which is a thing that spans a lot of yes. Disney no, attraction history. So that's the origin of that. So Anyway, um, Walt initially wanted uh, each theater that was going to show this film to be uh, to have very uh, precise um, audio equipment to be able to present it. That proved to be very costly for a lot of theaters. Mm -hmm. Only a couple of them ended up doing that. Uh, so, and he wanted basically to be a very serious, um, kind of like going to a symphony, mm -hmm. uh, and it was a full two hours long. Which, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you think about a lot of the animated movies, 
a lot of them don't measure that length. Right. Uh, Dumbo is just barely over an hour. Um, Saludos Amigos is only 48 minutes. This is a full two hours long. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a perfect length. And so when they re uh, not re released, when they created Fantasia 2000, when Roy E. Disney said, you know, because Walt initially wanted a little. Uh, the animated segments to be switched out with newer ones, mm -hmm. um, which never happened. Roy E. Disney came and said, okay, let's kind of do that, and they created Fantasia 2000, which also had eight segments, one of which was repeated, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm -hmm. And so it had seven all-new ones, but the total length in time of that one was, I think, only an hour and 20 minutes, which I think kind of plays upon the attention spans of yeah. the Americans these days. <laughs> Which was sad to me, because I really, a lot of them seemed really short, but mm -hmm. there were a lot of really good ones in there too, especially the Firebird sequence, Pines of Rome. Yeah, good music. Rhapsody in Blue. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, those are all good ones. Yes, but I'm officially going to put Fantasia on my list. It's <laughs> underappreciated because I think a lot of people, they, they recognize it for its importance in Disney history, but they don't necessarily take the time out to watch it. It's long. It is long, but it's great. <laughs> no, and it actually, is, I... it, it's the um, the impetus for what created my love of classical music. Classical That's music true. is my all-time favorite kind of music, and it literally started with the 1990 re-release of Fantasia in movie theaters. Which is amusing to me. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, because you didn't listen to it till then. Like, I didn't I grew listen up to listening it until to then. it because my mom was. But a I mean, so, so you know that me. got me into it. But I mean, yeah, no, that's a great. I mean, so I bought thing. the soundtrack. I started listening to it over and over again, and then I started to expand. And like, okay, if this composer did this, let me hear all of his yeah. other pieces. And that's how it started. It's good to it listen to the classics. Very so, good. There you go. So give it a listen or watch. Both. Okay, well, I guess this is last on my list, right? I'm at five, one, two. This will be your fifth. Except for my runners up. I, will run I have through many, 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 many. Uh, this one is. I'm just gonna jump right in. The Emperor's New Groove. Is, Wait, what? That's on my list. Is it? Oh, good. No, and that's I good. Know I've it's got underappreciated. Um, this is, came out in 2000, the 40th. Uh, right between. Dinosaur and Atlantis, and Dinosaur was kind of shoved in there. Dinosaur, yeah, was the only one that was retroactively added to the list. Yeah, they want they did that so that Princess and the Frog would be number fifty. Hmm. I mean, I'm okay with that because yeah. you know Princess yeah. and the Frog should be loved and appreciated absolutely for all time. But. Dinosaur wasn't even supposed to be released then. It was nope. released at that time because that's when Emperor's New Groove was supposed to come out. And you may have heard a story or two that Emperor's New Groove was kind of a mess. Oh my heavens. When it was being produced. Uh, originally, Sweatbox, yeah, originally called Kingdom of the Sun. That's right. It was, you know, a completely different story. Uh, very much darker than it ended up being. Um, the Yzma character was a villain. There was, you know, storyline involving uh, switching bodies like the Prince and the Pauper kind of storyline. Right. And Yzma wanted to get rid of the sun, so she stopped having wrinkles. So she was calling upon the god of death. There was a lot of mysticism in it <laughs> as well from the Inca people. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was completely different, and then like she found out who the real prince was and turned him into a llama. That part stayed. Um, Sting was originally tapped to write the soundtrack for it, all of the songs, and he said, I'll do that, but only if my wife, Trudy, can do a documentary, which she called, or whoever called, The Sweatbox. Um, I don't Which know that that's available anymore. It is I, definitely on YouTube somewhere. Okay. It's Search for yeah. it on there. I think they may yeah, have we'll taken look. it down because Disney does really? not enjoy when it that It was is. there even very recently. Oh, was it? Okay. So I would say we should definitely link <clears throat> to that. This is a phenomenal thing. Yeah. So there was a lot. It just took so long to produce what they wanted it to be. And 
Disney was like, come on, this is where I found out about the, you know, McDonald's, things like that. Like, we've got a production line of McDonald's Happy Meals ready to come out. And they shoved Dinosaur in its original summer 2000 release spot. Mm -hmm. um, and then they basically started over and redid the storyline. Um, Pacha was originally who he switched bodies with, and now he became an older person. And, you know, the whole, if you've seen the movie, you know the storyline. Um, no touchy. Yeah, there was another character involved who was removed altogether, and then um, Kronk came into being. But I mean, I the way it, so it ended up is just so funny to me. Like I've always been, you know, this is my guilty confession. I've always because I just grew up when he was popular. I guess I don't know. As a young adult, I've loved Adam Sandler and David Spade comedy from the start. So that, when David Spade was in it, I was oh, like, yeah. you know, just his the, his way of talking and stuff like that, you know, like, la my face and that whole, it, it makes me laugh to this day. So there's lots of just silly humor like that. Yzma Eartha Kitt is like amazing oh in it. And, and then Patrick Warburton yeah, as Kronk oh is just like <laughs> the best. All That's right. why they gave him, you know, the sequel was Kronk's Kronk's whatever. new groove. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so anyway, lots of, the story as if you didn't know any of, sorry, I just dropped my pen, if you didn't know any of the backstory and the strife that happened in the creation of this, I think it stands alone on itself. Absolutely. Just fine. I think it's a fun story. It's a, a good ending. It's a good, like, you know, lesson learned, um, kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that we have Yzma... Uh, Pacha was originally supposed to be Owen Wilson, by the way. Oh, wow. Isn't that weird? And then so. it ended up being John Goodman. <laughs> hey, wow. Um, yeah, so fun times. And I think it's just, there's lots of fun visuals. We've always said, I've always said that the part in the lab when, you know, pull the lever, crunk. And when they finally go down, like, that is such a good basis for a ride oh, that's yeah. never materialized. Absolutely. So that's why that. it's underappreciated. Um, yeah, list. see that that documentary if you can, just to see the yes. other side of it. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie or in a while, you know, give it a watch. I think it's a fun. Yeah, if you had to choose, I would say choose the movie. Right. <laughs> but yeah. then if you uh, the wanted an added depressing. is the sweatbox. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Great, great, uh, great entry on the list. And okay. that's my list, but I wow. do have a few honorable mentions. Yeah. Well, I still have one on my list, yes. and this is just a fun little romp. Um, this was basically uh, in the kind of a dark period, but a light. This is a, a fun one within that. It was ending that era and just getting into Disney's renaissance, and that is The Great Mouse Detective of 1986. The other one I have. Wait, what? Sorry. We've got some watching to do. This is a fun little film. And this one was right after The Black Cauldron, which mm, was the year before. So, so Anything would be ooh. a bright spot after that for yes, people, I guess. Yes, but this is just basically a, a fun Sherlock Holmes story. Yeah. Set on, you know, it's based on a book called Basil on ba Baker Street, which is essentially a mouse detective living in the same, um, I think, just on the same street as yeah. the actual Sherlock Holmes who's kind of and takes on the same thing yeah and he's basically doing the Sherlock Holmes thing and we've as a family have come to love Sherlock the, <laughs> the show on yes. on TV with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman that's right ah lovely <laughs> that's another episode yeah um, <laughs> is that it will never appear on this channel but um, so really just any story that's essentially a Sherlock Holmes story is just a fun thing. Yeah. And it's, this is just a great one. Um, with Radigan, an uh, evil yes. rat played I by do know Vincent Price. Mm. Yeah. yeah, see, that's when it's fun when you get these like old Hollywood people that you get yeah. right at the <laughs> sorry, Honestly, last yeah. moment. And then they're, you know, a Disney legend forever. And this was actually has the origins of the kind of like a computer animated uh, technique that they would later come to use a lot with when they were in the interior of the Big Ben clock um, in London 
there's a lot of just amazing computer animation in that one, hmm. in that little scene. But it, it literally is just a fun detective story um, with Basil and just basically solving the crime um, where uh, Radigan is doing some evil doings with the queen and the jewels, the crown jewels and all that. The queen is a mouse also? The, well, there is a mouse queen and there is some, uh, and there's an alternate of her with, made out of, uh, she's a robot. It's like, who? She's being replaced by a robot. I don't hmm. want to give too much away. It is on Disney Plus, I just looked I believe all of the animated classics are. Oh, well that's good. I looked up mine, but I didn't know it was on your list, so. Yeah. I will have to give that so a this, watch. Yeah, it's a fun, fun little film. And there's a fun song there, too, about Radigan. So. Hmm. I, I strongly encourage you all to check it out. Speaking of songs. <gasps> yes? Um, I have a couple more things to mention. Oh, I do, too. They're going to be quick. Because these are underappreciated for a reason, because they are probably not that great <laughs> of films. Uh, I speak, of course, of Home on the Range. Cows. And, well, I have Brother Bear on here, which Bears. I love Brother Bear. That is a good film. Oh, um, <laughs> but also, um, Chicken Little, I cannot stand that movie. But it has some fun Bare Naked Ladies songs in it. So uh, <laughs> Chicken Little, I can say... Seen, yeah, that I don't enjoy that one at all. It's <clears throat> terrible. Um, I don't know what they were thinking when they came out with that. Yeah, one. there was a really dark period. Right? <laughs> you know, Chicken Little, Home on the Range. Brother Bear should have uh, hit a little bit better um, than it did. That definitely is underappreciated. Yeah, I think Phil Collins and Tina yeah, Turner. Phil Collins. Come on. Phil Collins again. Very true. I forgot about Tina Turner and Mackenzie Brothers. Yeah, very right. fun. And you know, another great moral story of a story you know like you know you can't always choose what you want to be. by the way right. best walk around characters best walk around characters those, best those two bears. character breakfast which may be no more <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely when they no reopen uh, storytellers at the Grand Californian oh. love those bears wow. love this movie um, who's in that Joaquin Phoenix right is one of the bears I can't remember who played the bears yeah I'm pretty sure before his Joker time. Oh. <laughs> Long before. Um, anyway, Home on the him. Range, to jump back to that really quick, the Yodel song? You oh, yeah. Yodel, Adel, Edel, Odel, Ooh, or whatever. Uh, Randy Quaid sings it. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, uh, Randy Alameda Quaid Slim. is crazy, but. I've <laughs> learned song... some, some about his yodeling in that. Oh? It's not as much Randy Quaid as we might have been led oh, to believe. No! Well, that's okay. I didn't have a very high opinion. Um, and then, of course... <laughs> so and Roseanne Barr. Hello. Roseanne Barr. Oh, God. Um, Thanks, and Dame Judi Dench. Was Wayne Brady in that, too? Or no, no, Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding Jr., that's right. Sorry. That uh, I'm thinking of Sophia the First was had Wayne Brady. Uh, Little Patch of Heaven is with the other song mm -hmm. I was thinking. Katie Lynn. Yes. So anyway, it's fun to look at, um, but, you know... Not a great story. <laughs> so I've got a book on that one too. You do have a book on that one. Since I'm talking, I'm just going to finish Please. up my section. Just don't take mine. Um, I also have two other favorites, which are definitely appreciated. One is P Princess and the Frog. Uh, However, I still want it to be more appreciated because, it is so like, amazing. Tangled was right after that, and I think everyone went gaga, us included, for oh, yeah. you know. At last I see the light, the lanterns, the whole deal. But, I mean, we have to watch Princess and the Frog, like, every few months here. Because it's just, like, you need to recenter your life. And that movie does <laughs> it. definitely does um, it. Even music in that one is just We have just not, as a great. family, been to New Orleans. But it's just, like, that movie is everything. It's my second favorite. Yeah. I, I feel like it might be my first mm -hmm. favorite Disney film. The backgrounds, the music is unbelievable. The characters... And the story of, you know, you can have a wish, you can have a dream, but you have to work hard to make that dream come true. That's right. So that's, that's why I love story. that movie. It's like, hands down, my favorite. Um, last one for my list is Lady and the Tramp. Ooh. 
And I think that is very appreciated. You know, there's a whole restaurant in Magic Kingdom. Everyone loves Lady and the Tramp. However, the movie itself always held a special place in my heart because of, like, it's set in New England. It's not Massachusetts. I think it's supposed to be, like, New York or something. I don't know. Like They don't really say. They don't say, but it's, like, very spacious kind of. New Englandy, mm -hmm. um, right that opening scene century, yeah. when you know it looks like a Courier and Ives, uh, yes, um, whatever painting, <laughs> a painting, um, Courier and Ives. Yeah, that's from a song. Anyway, um, I love the way that they tell the story because it's all from the animals' point of views. Like for a long time, you don't see even the face of a human character. That's right. And it's just lots of fun. You know, there is a troubling with the Siamese cats song. However, I had Siamese cats growing up, so I, that was always one of my favorite <laughs> things. Like, you know, I don't know if it's, well, yeah, just the way that they're, the cats are drawn is, is yeah. very racist these days. Um, it was Peggy Lee at her best. Peggy Lee, well, okay, she, what a dog. Well, she definitely did that too, but yeah, she did Yeah, she the, didn't she do voiced, the We yeah. Are Siamese thing, did she? She absolutely did. Oh, I've learned a fun fact. Anyway, I just love the visuals of that and um, the story. So that's that. That's good. And I'm done with all my runners up. I'll throw in a, a few as well. <laughs> and maybe these are appreciated, but I think going back in time also to the, maybe like the fifth and sixth, or no, sixth and seventh movies on Disney's list, Saludos Amigos and The Three Caballeros, which were, as I mentioned before, the, the Goodwill films uh, that Disney had done uh, when they had gone down to South America to uh, basically ensure that the, that the people down there did not get um, entangled in Nazism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a fun goodwill tour to keep them on the good side. Um, the, the result was these two phenomenal films that basically just showcases everything from you know, Mexico and South America. Um, just a bunch of really great films. A lot of, you know, that's where they introduce Jose Carioca. Panchito, and there's a fun a bunch of uh, uh, animated sequences mm -hmm. as well, including yes. the flying burrow. And if you love those movies, you should see Walt and El Grupo. Oh, that's right. Completely yeah, separate from all, this discussion. Yeah, they did a documentary, I believe, right around 2009, where they documented that trip, the, that Goodwill trip with Walt and his um, animators going down there to South America to get inspiration for that resulted in these films. And there are actually going to be a couple of, of other films that never came out, some of which appeared in the, um, the Melody Time mm -hmm. later. Um, but then also, um, let me add to that, I, I think Sword in the Stone is a little underrated as well. Like 1963, the story of Wart becoming <laughs> King Arthur. Yes. Um, some, some good story in there and a lot of fun visuals. And that's right around the time uh, you know, Sleeping Beauty had just come out, 101 Dalmatians, and they were just getting into the groove with you know, the Jungle Book, which then leading into Walt's passing. And I wanted to throw one last movie in there that isn't even on the official list, but I kind of think maybe it should be. You've been dying to say this one, so just I say I have. So I'm going to say, if you all haven't seen The Reluctant Dragon, you need to check it out. This was, a, this was really early on in Walt's life. This was 1941, I believe. Uh, literally, like, the second third or fourth Disney movie ever made. And uh, there's a lot of um, scenes that take place on the Walt Disney Studios. It's essentially a tour of, of the, um, the new, at that time, Walt Disney Studios, um, where they go around to each of the different departments. And the story starts in black and white, and then it ends in color. And there's some scenes about that, and he's kind of where uh, Mr. Benchley kind of stumbles into the the art, uh, the, <laughs> the sound effects department, and uh, nothing has been planned ahead of time. It's oh, just, not at all. He's basically just trying. He he found this story called the Reluctant Dragon. He's just going to the studios to show it to Walt, saying, "Hey, you should make a uh, a short on this." And and in doing so, he he basically gets taken around um, 
by a page to all the different um, departments there. And it's just a lot of great behind the scenes things. But there's a bunch of animated sequences in there too. Also um, on Disney Plus. So um, check yeah, it out. Definitely check it out. But so basically, this is a Disney Plus commercial. So uh, yeah, and there's another one that's on Disney Plus that talks about that Renaissance that we were talking about, um, the the late '80s, early '90s Renaissance, called Waking Sleeping Beauty. Ah yes. And that's another um, documentary that you should definitely check out on Disney Plus that talks yeah. about that resurgence in animation. And so. The Boys, which has nothing to do with anything but nope. music. But check that out, too. Absolutely. Anytime you can get a documentary on anything Disney-related, hmm. I want to see. And actually, there's one coming out very soon about the archives. So Ooh. stay tuned for that. Yeah. Like the Imagineering one? Oh, my very gosh. Nice. Oh, my gosh. That's... A, yeah. <laughs> now, so anyway. someone needs to make another movie of the life of Walt Disney that's not saving Mr. Banks... But it's perfectly cast and has great costuming, and I want to be brought back to that time frame. Okay. Someone has to do it. So many people have tried. So, so, so something different than Walt Disney, The Man Beyond the Myth. Yeah. It came out in 2001. But yeah. that's, that's not a story. That's just kind of like a documentary right. on Walt's life. Yeah, no. I want, like, Tom Hanks, but not Tom Hanks. Okay. What? Story. <laughs> I mean, he was still just Tom Hanks, you know. He said, Who would you suggest? Just one, 20 bucks. I don't know. It's so hard because Walt has such a unique voice. Yeah. I've... And face. You know? It's, you could probably have someone to play him uh, younger, easier than you could when he got older and had that yeah. weirder face. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Jack Houston could play him as a young Walt. <laughs> Interesting. Love him from Boardwalk Empire if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Wrapping choice. up our... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Underrated animated films. <laughs> you know, we're talking about Boardwalk Empire, as you could imagine. Absolutely. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sure if you're listening, you may have your own list or one we've forgotten or... Maybe you even completely disagree with one of those right. that was on our list. Yeah, you Boardwalk. could say that is very rated. It's not underrated at all. That's right. Um, let us know. Drop us a line. You know, grab us on... Facebook, like, how could Twitter, you forget this one, or YouTube, that one. So, yes, all of those places. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a thumbs up. Uh, tell your friends so they can join in the discussion as well. The They'd more, the merrier. Yes, Thank you, as always, for listening or watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Up the waterfall. Up the waterfall. <laughs> bye bye.